Amen. Our God is mighty to save, is he not? Amen. Amen. And we are so thankful. That's why the only reason we are here. I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 5. And we're just going to read real quick from, uh, we've already read it this morning from Aaron, but we're going to look at a couple of verses from one of our scripture reading texts this morning as we consider a godly mother's hope for her children this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I think it said chapter 5 a second ago, but it's verse 5. Beginning verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do acknowledge that you are mighty to save, Lord. You are You are a God, you are rich in mercy, you are wonderful in glory, mighty in power. Father, if you were were strong and unkind, we know you would be able to save us, but we wouldn't be sure if you're willing. If If you were compassionate but weak, we know you would be willing, but unsure if you're able. But Lord, you are omnipotent, And you are all merciful and loving. And we know not only are you willing to save us, but you are able and powerful to save us. And so, Father, this morning, as we look into this text, I pray that you will supersede everything that is said and that you will help us to know you this morning. It is in your name we pray. Amen. As I said, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 1, and uh, if you are here this morning, you don't have a copy, your own copy of the Word of God, you can find that on page 1,181 in the Bibles that are in the pew in front of you, 1,181, or if you are here this morning, you have your own copy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. As far as I can tell, the origin of Mother's Day can be traced back to a request by the name of Anna Jarvis of Philadelphia. And in a, speci- in a service in a church, she requested that a special church service be made uh, to honor her mother in the church. And that service was held uh, on May 10th of 1908. Uh, we made the 8th. I thought it was the 10th today. And so, and that that. Tradition started to kind of spread until President Woodrow Wilson made it official, and he set the second day of Sunday in May as Mother's Day, and and that was um, really kind of a legacy of this of this woman who wanted to bring a special honor to her mother. If you think about it, for everyone in here, the first real relationship that any of us really ever had was to our mothers, and so whether you are a a mother or not. You have a mother, and chances are that that relationship you had with her is one of, if not the first relationship you had on this planet. 
And so, and what we're really looking at this morning is that of legacy, that of honoring those who gave birth to us, those who are our mothers. And we wanna ask the question, as Paul is, is doing here, is what, what kind of legacies are we bringing to her? What kind of memories are we invoking for her? And all of that is a question that I think that we do need to ask. This is, just to tell you a little bit about Paul's um, writing of this letter, Paul wrote this letter. He wrote it to a, a young man by the name of Timothy, who was his kind of son in the ministry and a, a very close friend of his. In fact, this is actually the last letter of Paul that we have that we know of. And so this is kind of Paul's swan song, if you will. It is his, it is his last letter, his last kind of will and testament, if you will. And, and he is, in this letter, concerned about legacy. He is concerned about what it is that he is going to leave behind and those who follow him. And I think as parents, we can all uh, relate to that. What, what kind of legacy is our children going to give uh, us whenever they fly the coop and whenever they're out there on their own. And so I think that's something that we have all worried about at one point. And so Paul here says, as he is really facing, he's probably going to be giving his life for Christ here very soon. And he is facing those final moments. And the thing that he takes comfort in is knowing that those whom he has trained up in the ministry, especially Timothy, is going to be continuing in the faith after him. If you look what he says in verse five, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. And, and that word, it, it indicates that there's some comfort in this. As he remembers uh, Timothy's tears on his behalf, as he remembers uh, coming to the point of his death. And listen, Paul, he, he is ready to give his life for Christ. He's been ready for years to give his life for Christ. But as that reality is creeping closer and closer and closer, just like anyone else, he is looking for a source of comfort. And Timothy's sincere faith is that source of comfort for him. Sincere is really interesting because it, it has the idea of not giving pretense or not, um, not showy. It's not something that Timothy does just when he's in Paul's presence. In fact, uh, in the new um, update of the New American Standard, the Legacy Standard Bible, you've heard me quote from time to time, it actually translates it unhypocritical. Your, your non-hypocritical faith. In other words, this is not something that you do just when your parents are around. This is not just something you do on mom's special day or dad's special day, but this is something that is sincere. It is sincerely held. It is sincerely, it is sincerely followed. And beloved, the best way that we can honor those who came before us is for our faith to be sincere. The best way that we can honor those who have come ahead of us is that we are sincere in our faith. You may, you may remember the old uh, thing of a Steve Green, or I can't remember who it was, but he's saying, may all who come behind us find us faithful. And that is the best way that you can honor your mothers. It's the best way you can honor your fathers. 
is the best way you can honor the church fathers and the reformers and the Puritans and, and all of those who, who came before us that, that, that coalesced and today we carry on their traditions and the teaching, I think most accurately in the Baptist church, but I'm a little biased there. But um, the best way that we can carry their teachings forward, how can we honor them? By being faithful, by being faithful. But what constitutes a sincere faith? What is it that makes a sincere faith? Is it mere sentimentality? Is it mere emotionalism? Is it mere memories every time certain holidays come around? Is it simply remembering great traditions you had in your family? Is it, uh, is it getting emotional when you sing God Bless America at the ball field? What, what is it that constitutes a sincere faith? And Paul's gonna point out three aspects that we're gonna see this morning in this text. And so beginning in, in verse five, I want you to notice that Timothy, a sincere faith, is, is a faith that is faithful. It's a faith that is faithful. Look, look in the rest of verse five. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you. Paul says that this faith that Timothy is carrying, this faith that he has, this sincere faith that he is holding on to is the same faith that first dwelt in his grandmother, Lois, and then also carried on through his mother, Eunice. We don't know much about these two women. In fact, beyond this text, we don't, know, we don't know much of anything. We know they were Jewish believers. We know that they knew enough about Scripture that they were able to instruct Timothy in the Word. If you look at uh, chapter 3, verse 15, you see this. Paul says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the Holy Scriptures. And of course, the only ones who would have done that were his grandmother and his Mother, you say, how do you know that? Because we also know that Timothy had a Gentile father and likely an unbelieving Gentile father at that. Uh, we know that Timothy was, was not circumcised as, as what the Jewish religion would have allowed at that time. But later on, Paul had him be so for the sake of the ministry so that he could minister uh, effectively in the synagogues. We know all that. And so Paul knows, some people say that Paul knew these ladies personally. I don't really find a lot of evidence for that. Uh, maybe even led them to Christ, we don't know. Maybe he only knew them from Timothy talking about them so much. How many of you guys talk about your mother a lot? Maybe that's the only reason why Paul knew their names, you know? I mean, we just, we just don't know. But here's what we do know. We know that Paul knew enough that the faith that Timothy was carrying on was the faith that his grandmother had and it was the faith that his mother had and that he was faithfully carrying on that sincere faith to the next generation. We know from the book of Hebrews at some point, Timothy did get arrested. He was in a Roman prison for a little while and yet he was released Beyond that, we don't have a whole lot of information about him. But we do know that he was faithful. And that faith he carried on was the faith that his parents, his mother specifically gave him. 
Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that he held to every minor point of doctrine that they did. It doesn't mean that. It certainly doesn't mean that he went to the same church because we know he didn't do that. He was all over the world following Paul. Yet we do know that he was carrying on the faith once delivered that was given to him by his mother and his grandmother. And more than that, he had taken personal ownership in it. It wasn't his grandmother's faith. It wasn't his mother's faith. It was his faith. And beloved, I would ask you this morning, if you're here, especially our guests who are here this morning, let me ask you, is what you believe only your mother's faith? Is what you hold to only the faith of your parents or maybe even your friends or perhaps even just your pastor or your bishop or priest or whatever church you happen to go to, is your faith only that? Or have you come to a true, genuine, personal faith in Jesus Christ in your own heart? Anything other than that, beloved, is not gonna honor your mother. It's not gonna honor her memory. And so we ask you, are you carrying on the genuine faith, the sincere faith He wants Timothy to do the same. Paul emphasizes at the beginning of the letter that he served the same God that his fathers did with a clear conscience. And my question to you is, is can you do the same thing? Can you serve the same gospel that your mother served with a clear conscience? You know, there's no better pillow to sleep on the night than a clear conscience. There is no pillow so comfortable to lay your, lay your head and rest at night than a conscience that has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so my question this morning is, is, is that you? Can you say that? Or is your faith faithful? And number two, Timothy's faith was active. It was active. Look what he says in verse six. He says, for this reason I remind you, to fan into flame... The gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame. In other words, this gift of God that that Timothy was given, it, it, it certainly was salvation, but it was probably more than that because Paul's saying that this is a gift that was given to you by the laying on of my hands, and that's referring to a passing on of the ministry responsibility. Uh, we refer to that in the church as ordination. In other words, we are ordaining you to take the gospel to the world. And beloved, in a sense, every time you are baptized, you are ordained by God to live the Christian life and bring and expand his kingdom into wherever it is your your sphere of influence is. That's part of the theology of baptism. And so Timothy is referring to his ministry, the traditional way of releasing someone to the world to serve for Christ. Timothy had followed Paul throughout all of his missionary journeys, and there were times when Paul, as a, as a good coach that he was, would leave Timothy behind or send him somewhere for a short time, but now Timothy was the permanent pastor of a church of name, by the name of Ephesus. And what is so interesting about this church is that Paul had a better relationship with this church than probably all the others combined. 
And so as a result, they get more letters. And this letter, as Timothy is ministering to this Ephesian church, he is now their permanent pastor. And he is carrying on that tradition that was given to him by Paul, first given to him by his grandmother and his mother. And what I want you to see here is that Paul's telling him, I want you to continually on and on and on, keep on, keep on, keep on, fanning into flame the gift of God that you have been given through the training that I have provided. In other words, for Timothy, this was no mere internal sentimentality. This was no mere internal religion. But this was a faith that was active. This was a faith that was involved. This was a faith that was serving. This was a faith that was external and in the world. This was a faith that, that, that engaged the world and brought the gospel to those whom he was there with. Everyone in his sphere of influence Here's the point. Timothy had not only taken ownership in his own faith, but he was active in it. He was doing it. You know, today in America, we've come into this strange idea that religion is only what matters internally and, and externally. You need, to get in, you need to get in line with the rest of the culture. In fact, have you noticed they don't even call it freedom of religion anymore. They call, them, they call it freedom of worship. Have you noticed that? You know why they've changed that vocabulary? Because they want your faith to stay in these four walls. That they'll let you get away with because constitutionally there's nothing they can do about it. But as soon as you get outside of these four walls, they want you to keep it to yourself. And that's not exactly what Timothy was willing to do. In fact, that is not biblical faith at all. The faith is an outward faith. The faith is a faith that exists and that reflects and that influences every single part of your life. You don't just wake up in the morning, have your quiet time, close the Bible, and then go out and live your life as if nothing is different. But the word of God is meant to influence every aspect of your life. He doesn't want to be number one in your life. He wants to be your life. He wants to be everything. He doesn't want to be number one on your priority list. He wants to be every number on your priority list. And any place, any, uh, any part of your life that God is not a part of, that is the part that you're going to notice that that's where the chaos is in your life. That's where the idolatry is. That's where the things are falling apart. Why? Because you're not following the faith of Jesus Christ in that aspect. So Paul told him to keep fanning the flame. Keep building your faith. Do not ever be satisfied with where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Have a holy dissatisfaction so that more and more and more you are coming to Christ over and over and over again looking for more and more and more of his grace and you find that it is more sufficient every single day 
for you. Told you about that fish I caught that time with uh, Brother Art, and I thought I really had caught a fish, you know, pretty big. It was, it was like that big or something, and probably more like that big, but... <laughs> But this kind of fish, what it does, it was just right by a, it's just right by one of the locking dams. And this particular kind of fish, what he does is he just stands there at the bottom of the dam with his mouth open and he just catches whatever comes in. And that's what he does all day long, all day long, all day long. It makes for a terrible fish dinner, but it makes for a great analogy for the grace that we receive every day in Jesus Christ, that we just place ourselves in a place of reception of his grace. It's like a river that keeps coming over and over and over again. And we find that the usefulness and the sufficiency of his grace never ends. Stay in that river, beloved. Stay in that flow of his grace. Keep building your faith over and over every single day. Don't ever be satisfied. You want to see a mama who's proud of you? Do that. You want to see a godly mother for whom her hope is being realized in your life? Then be constantly building your faith. Constantly. I have moms in here. Amen? Is that true? Amen. And so please do that. You know, the truth is, that's what we all want. I don't want my kids to have my faith. I want their faith to be better than mine. You know, isn't that what we all want? I want my kids to do everything that I can't do. I want them to make more money. Admittedly, that's a little selfish because otherwise I'm not sure how I'll retire. I want them to do better in school. They've already done that. (laughs) I want them to go higher in education. I want them to have greater opportunities. And more than that, I want them to know Jesus Christ better than I ever can. I want them to go further than I ever have. I want them to be more intimate. I want them to reach more people for Christ than I ever could. I want them to be more in love with Jesus than I've ever been. For my kids to honor me and honor their mother, that's, that's a sure way to do it. And you don't have to be a preacher to do that. You can do that anywhere, everywhere. And so honor her. I want them to be more than me. I don't want them to be like me. I want them to be more than me. I want them to be better than me. You know, sometimes uh, I'll tell my kids, you know, you shouldn't drink so much soda. And they're like, you know, well, you do. (laughs) Yes, I know. But I want you to be better than me. I know that's just another way of saying, you know, do as I say, not as I do, but... We all feel that though, do we not? We want our kids to be better. And so Timothy was active and Timothy was hopeful in verse seven. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. You know, it seems that Timothy was a rather nervous individual. He was a rather nervous kind of guy. 
He's told in other places to drink a little wine mixed with water to kind of help with his frequent stomach ailments. We think that had to do with his nerves and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, that was really the best thing they could do for it back during that time. We know that he was a, a young man who experienced much fear. You know, Paul's reminding him once again that the power of God in your life is able to overcome all fear that you face. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear, Timothy. He's given you a spirit of, of power and of love and of self-control or, or some of your translations say of a sound mind. It's basically the same thing. You see, the reason why this is so honoring to your mother's children is that because we know that it's not for our benefit, it's for yours. You see, especially for our young kids, listen, I want, you to, I want you to hear me out, especially for our young kids. You're in a hurry to grow up and you're in a hurry to get out of the house and for freedom. And when you get out there, you're going to discover that it's a scary place. You're gonna discover that you're not gonna have a safety net anymore to bail you out whenever you get in trouble. You're gonna, have, you're gonna discover that Unlike your teachers, your boss doesn't give you two extra weeks to get a project done. It's either done on time or it's not. You're gonna discover that when there's more month at the end of your money, there's no more coming. You're going to discover all of these things, that this, that this is a scary world. And your parents know who have been there, who have lived in this world and who have made it in this world. They've made lots of mistakes, but they know, they know, they know that the one way they've gotten through it is by the faith of Jesus Christ. And the people who don't have faith in Jesus Christ, to be honest with you, I don't know how they do it. But we live in a scary, scary world. And yet Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And understand that as the more, the more you live by that spirit, the more you will experience the unspeakable peace and joy of God. This world is a sad place. Things happen that really have no explanation for them. And yet, our God is in control. And the way that we have peace and joy and comfort in this world is by knowing him. So this morning, I wanna leave you with this. How, how do you know Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. And the best thing I can do for your mothers this morning is to tell you how you can know Jesus. So I want to tell you the first thing you need to know is who God is. God made everyone. God is the creator. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created everything that we see, everything that we use to make things. He created it all. And because of that, you know, as, as a creator, he is owner of everything. He owns it all. And you're accountable to him as his creation. But you see, he's also, he's also someone who loves you. He is a father. 
He desires to be a father and bring many home into his family as adopted spiritual children. But he's also a lawmaker. And you see, this God who is owner, this God who is father, he is also a perfect, morally perfect judge whose instructions are to be obeyed just as you travel this road of life. It's kind of like, you know, all of us, and I've shared this with our church before, but all of us carry these little smartphones in our pockets, you know, and you first get them and you have this long little thing that you never read. It just says accept and you click yes and you don't even read it. But what you didn't read there was a licensing agreement, which basically says that the, that the maker, the creators of that phone software own that software, and they have a right to tell you how you can and cannot use it. Because if you create something, then by definition, you own that, and you have patent rights over it, Right? And since God made you, you belong to him and you are accountable to him to follow his instructions for a relationship of love that is centered on him. But the truth is none of us have done that. You see, God's, God's way of living is, is two roads. There's, there, there's two laws that he gives. The entire law can be summed up in two commands that he gives. And the two commands are this, that they don't destroy our freedom, but they are there for our safety and happiness. And they say that you must, one, love God completely and love others perfectly. And all of his law can be summed up in those two commands. We're all commanded to follow that road, enjoying friendship with God and later in his internal home. And those two rules, they don't destroy our freedom, but they're for our safety. And God's laws, these two laws to love God completely and love others perfectly, they must be followed perfectly. God's rules must be perfectly kept. Obeying his rules perfectly means that we know real love and that we have a real home after we die. So my question to you is, is do you love God perfectly? Have you followed all of his commands? And have you loved others completely? Has there ever been a point in your life where you've been selfish? Has there ever been a point in your life where you have not considered God in your life, in your decisions? Has there ever been a time that you lied, that you stole that you were willing to sin in order to get something you want. You were willing to bend a rule or two. You were willing to go against your own conscience to go against those things that your mother raised you in. Have you ever had that experience where you're telling your mother a funny story and then in the middle of the story, you remember that what you did was illegal? Am I just talking about myself there? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't always saved. You see, these two rules for God-centered living of perfect love and for others, it shows that God's requirements are measure all of our attitudes, all of our actions. It's just like when Jesus met a young man and this young man walked up to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what did Jesus do? He gave him the list of commands. And the young man said, I have kept these all from my youth. And Jesus said, 
The problem is you may have done, you may think you've done so, but the truth is you don't love God perfectly. You know how he knows? Go and sow everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And you see, the young man loved his treasure more than he loved God. He loved his riches more than he loved Jesus. He had, he had, he had violated the first command. So he wasn't there. He wasn't there. These commands require perfect obedience. And beloved, we could all go out into the parking lot this morning and we could all have a contest to see who can jump over the church. Now, some of us might get higher than others. But the truth is, it doesn't matter because it's an impossible goal. We might as well have a contest to see who can jump to the moon. It doesn't matter how high you get. It's an impossible goal. Because every single one of us are sinners. You see, sin is what you do. Anytime you disobey God or you fail to be like God. You see, God told you not to lie. Have you ever lied? That's a sin. But God is also loving. Have you ever been unloving towards someone? That's a sin. And anytime you have failed to be like God or anytime you have failed to obey God, you have sinned. And you see, sin separates you from God. It separates you. Your relationship with God is broken and now there's a huge gap that you are unable to please God. It makes you unable to work your way to God and every way that you try to do so fails. It's all, you're, you are, everything you do is tainted with sin. You say, well, how does that work? Well, imagine you're going out to eat with your mother today and you're having a banquet and you're taking her to a special restaurant. And let's say that that restaurant today out of Mother's Day is going to have the Iron Chef or whoever the more popular chef is today. I think my illustrations are getting a little dated here, but whoever the most popular chef is here today, Gordon Ramsay, I guess, I don't know. He's coming to cook the meal. And yet on the way here, on the way to the, to the kitchen, he gets in an accident and he's thrown into a, a sewer pond and he is trying to get himself out of it and he's weighed in and he's caught in this thing for 30 minutes and then he finally gets out. He comes to the kitchen, so he's laid and so he starts cooking. He cuts up all the veggies and he's massaging all the meat and shaping it and putting it all together and he cooks the spread and he puts that on in front of you and man, it smells great. It looks great. It looks wonderful. There's only one problem. He didn't clean up before he started cooking. He didn't even wash his hands. Would you eat it? No. There's always one smart aleck. <laughs> Would you eat it? Of course not. Why? Because the filth on him made everything he did nasty, no matter how good it looks. And beloved, your sin has tainted everything you try to do for God. That's why the Bible says even our most righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Can you imagine coming up to God with, with, with nasty, used medical rags and God says, why should I let you into heaven? You say, because I brought you these. What if you went to someone's house and did that? 
you'd have the door slammed in your face. And yet God says that is what all of our righteousness is before him. So having become self-centered, you're separated from God, unable to earn forgiveness, enslaved to your desires, and you have turned from a loving father and you are on the road to death and hell. Because that's what sin earns. It's like a wall separating you. It's enslaving. It's like having a heart disease. So let me ask you a question. Do you understand the seriousness of your predicament? Do you understand where you are? Do you understand that you are a breath away, only one breath away from an eternity without God? From an eternity apart from him? That's the bad news, but here's the good news. God didn't leave us in that situation. You see, God provides a bridge back to himself. He provides a way, he provides a bridge to bring us over the church. He provides a spaceship to take us to the moon. He provides the route that we need You see, because God came in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the son of God, he came to earth and he lived in absolute perfect perfection. He always obeyed God's words. He was was like God in everything he did. He earned that perfect righteousness that you and I need. And then he went and he died on the cross, taking all the punishment that you and I deserve. He took all of that to the cross so that by his dying on the cross, you and my, our guilt, our debt can be taken away from us and put on him so that you and I can be forgiven, so that you and I can have peace with God and that we can go across that bridge. And not only that, he proved that he accomplished everything he intended to do because three days later, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave in order that we would know that we know that we know that our sin has been paid for, our debt is forgiven, and that by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, we can have eternal life in Christ. We can have our sin forgiven. We can have our debt wiped away. We can have all of that. He died on the cross so that you can have forgiveness and he rose from the dead so that you can have a new life in him. So God, your creator, your maker, your father, your judge calls you back to himself. And what will your response be? You're to do more than simply acknowledge historical facts. Maybe you're here this morning. I know all that. I know Jesus died for my sins. I've known that since I was a kid. But even the demons know it didn't do them any good. What's the response that Jesus commands? First of all, you must repent. Repent from your sins. Repent from self-rule. Take the crown off of your head and stomp it to the ground and bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Turn from your sin and self. That's a word that we call repent. And then place your faith in Christ alone as your forgiver, as your righteousness, and as your Lord. You see, Jesus, when he rose from the grave, he didn't stay on earth. He ascended to the right hand of God. And now he is in heaven offering himself to you as a rescue from God's wrath, as a deliverance from God's wrath. We have a word for that in the church. He's our savior. Remember, Jesus, savior, he can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. What has he saved us from? His own wrath. The very one whom you've offended, the very one that you have sinned against took, your, took his own punishment for you so that he could have you, so that you will, he will draw you back to himself. And beloved, my question here to you this morning is what more must he do to convince you to come to him? He's done everything. He's done everything you need. What more do you need? What more? Jesus who came to earth, who gave up the glories of heaven, came to earth, died a sinner's death, faced the wrath of God, and rose not only so that he could save you, not just so that he could forgive you, but so that he could adopt you as his own. What more do you need? What more? Will you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone? In doing so, would you honor your parents this morning? Because I promise you, if your parents are here, if your mother is here, if she is a godly woman, I can assure you that there is nothing more she wants for your life than for you to know Jesus Christ. So will you respond to him this morning? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm just gonna ask you, our musicians are gonna come forward for just a moment. And if you are here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, I'm gonna invite you to, maybe you say, Randy, what do I need to do? What, what, what is involved? Well, really, Christ has done all the work. The question is, what are you putting your faith in? Are you willing to turn from those sins that have destroyed your life? Are you willing to turn from all of the ways that you have tried to make yourself righteous? You try to make yourself holy. You try to justify yourself. Are you willing to turn away from all of those things and place your hope and faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you alone? You say, Randy, I've never heard the gospel put that way before. I go into a little extra explanation because I don't want you to have to, I don't want you to be able to ignore it. I want you to hear the whole story. And I want you to know that if you turn away this morning, I want you to know exactly what you're turning away from. So if you're here this morning, don't wait. 
Understand, if you save it for later, later may never come. So I'm gonna ask you this morning, will you place your faith in Jesus Christ here this morning? Turn from your sins and trust in Christ alone, making him your Lord and Savior. You will either meet him as your Savior or you will either meet him as your judge. Which one will it be? You have the choice right now. There's a day coming when you won't. So make the right choice today. Come to Christ. Father, we thank you for this wonderful story of deliverance we gave. And if there's one here this morning who has never placed their hope and faith in Christ, I pray this morning will be the morning that you are drawing them to yourself. I know my explanation of the gospel is weak. I know it's difficult to get the words out. But Lord, I pray your spirit has gone before. And maybe in hearing the gospel in a slightly different way this morning, people have had their spirits awakened to their need. I pray that's the case. And Lord, may we honor our mothers here this morning by honoring you, our mother's God. Make our faith our own. Make it active. And give us hope in Christ. I want to ask you to stand and just keep your heads bowed for a few and just reflect on the things that have been said. And if you're here this morning and you need to come, I pray that you would come.